So, I said it's good to be here, especially at this 6th anniversary, because I love to be a part of church plants. We call them pioneer churches. Because, uh, to me, it's just the greatest thing you can do is to start a new church. Uh, Somewhere, we started planting churches about 45 years ago, and uh, just by the grace of God, and and now there's a little over 4,300 churches worldwide that have been started directly from our one church. Uh, Like babies and grandbabies and great-grandbabies. You know how that multiplies? You don't have to have a lot as long as they keep having them. (laughs) And uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of pioneering churches in many places in in Arizona years ago in Phoenix and then in uh, Pennsylvania, Manila, Philippines, Singapore. And we've gone around a lot of places planting churches. Now we have the privilege of going into these places and preaching in churches that have been planted be out of that. Kind of like this church here. This is like a, this would be down a ways. But uh, it's a privilege to be here and to just uh, get to see some faces. And you get to see my face. My wife's preaching over at the Tucson church today, so she couldn't be with us, but sends her birthday greetings to you. you know, a lot of people have an idea of what a church should be like at six years old. It's kind of like a child. You know, everyone's different. You can't say how a church should be at one year or two years or six years. Some try to say, well, a church should have this kind of growth. You know, there's six-year-olds that are all kinds of ways, right? Uh, you know, all different sizes and stuff like that. What I feel here is a good church, don't you? Good church, good people, good pastors, and, uh, and it feels good in this place. So I'm excited, excited to be here with you and appreciate this opportunity. And I'm going to show that to my church over there. I have the privilege, as he said, of leading Praise Chapel. Praise Chapel part was started by my brother and his wife, Donna, in Los Angeles, California. They lived in Oklahoma. We all did. I ended up in Asia, and they, they ended up in Southern California. They were pastoring in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, uh, and the church just wasn't doing much. And they worked hard, and it wasn't taking off, and uh, he was kind of feeling, Lord, I'm not just going to keep this up. If something doesn't happen, I'm not going to keep this up. And a guy came through, kind of like the one you're having this week, and was preaching in their little church and, and felt a word of God over my brother and said, uh, you're going to get a call. And if you, if, you, if you accept this opportunity that's coming to you, from that time on, your ministry is going to go nothing but up. And a short time later, he got a call from a small church in Maywood, California. It was an older church, been there for many years in Maywood, which is East Los Angeles. They didn't know what East Los Angeles was. They had been to L.A. before and preached. In fact, Donna was from there, his wife. But, uh, but they had preached at this church years, a number of years before, but just came in and out. So they felt that was the Lord. And they went, the pastor was retiring. They went out there. They took that church and became the pastors of that church. And, and uh, it was a church that was in a community where the demographics had changed over the years. And what was originally an Anglo community turned out now to be all Hispanic and especially a lot of gangs in East Los Angeles, a lot of drug addiction, stuff like that. And my brother was a, from Oklahoma. He had a big belt, like some of these people in Arizona do. He had a guitar, Gibson guitar, and he sang country music. <laughs> and he's in East L.A. <laughs> Did not fit at all. But sometimes God uses cross-cultural missions to reach people. Because he didn't know what he was getting into. He had no idea what was there. But uh, the people, it was, it was an all-white church in an all-Latino community. And uh, just so happened, that he, didn't, he just wanted to reach people, begin to talk to people and love people. And the first Hispanic couple came in, uh, to a family of Hispanics came in, and, uh, and then he had white flight, if you know what that means. A lot of people in the church took off and left because of the, the, the drugs. This family had been in the drugs, got saved, and a lot of stuff. And he had white flight, and, uh, but out of that, one, one little elderly stayed, a, a, a guy named Johnny Doris and his wife stayed, another couple stayed, a few enough stayed, and uh, but they, began to, they began to reach out and, and these uh, people began to get saved, drug addicts began to get saved, guys out of prison began to get saved, and it exploded into a, a mighty revival that uh, out of that uh, began to birth these guys began to evangelize, go on the streets uh, on Whittier Boulevard uh, when they were cruising down there and preach the gospel and uh, started home Bible studies. He just really, uh, you know, he was, he was as odd as you could be, 
But he loved them so much, and they loved him so much, a revival broke out. And that grew to a 1,000 people, and, and they started planting churches. And, uh, and the rest is history. Now, 47 years later, that there's, uh, uh, there's the, along with the churches we started in Asia, there's 4,000, over 4,000 churches around the world that have been started from that. And it's just an amazing thing. My, my uh, sister-in-law still pastors that church as the, as the elder pastor. Her son pastors as the senior pastor of that church in Los Angeles and is still going strong. So that's kind of the little history about us. And uh, that's why I love to be in church plants and young churches. I love young churches because that's what we're about. Not about, you know, we love the older established churches, but we love the young churches like this one that are just starting out because we know what future is there. To me, planting a church is like planting a garden or planting a tree, a fruit tree. It takes time some to, for some. Mangoes take years before a mango tree produces fruit. Over in the Philippines, they, you know, they plant mangoes, and it takes a long time for a mango tree. But once it starts producing, you get some good fruit. And you'll find it's a, a churches, you plant a church. The wonderful thing is we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Your story was so familiar to ours. Uh, we pioneered a church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. My wife and I had a little, in a little room about this size in a hotel. The first Sunday morning, this couple came in. The first night, Friday night, we had a service. This guy from New York, a, a drug addict from New York that had get kicked out of Teen Challenge, came in. They kicked him out of Teen Challenge, and I got him. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but he got, he got glorious saved. And I told him the, the next, uh, that was Friday night, Sunday morning, he was the head usher of our church. <laughs> because that's the only one, he only usher the person I had. <laughs> I said, you're the usher, greet him at the door. But then I didn't realize it was Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He was running half of them off, I think, by when they saw him. He was a Puerto Rican from New York. But anyways, uh, uh, one couple came in that, and a couple of people did, but one couple came in that morning, and like what happened at your church, they stuck with us. And later on, they went out and pioneered a church in Reading, Pennsylvania. And the history has been mo- m- unbelievable. All these the church, strong church in Lancaster still and them. And, you know, I could go on and on of, of the connection that God had out of that l- little church plant. You never know what God's doing. It's a wonderful experience. And, and especially, you know, and the people, what I like also is the people who are a part of a young church are special people. Because, you know, it's easier to just go over here to a mega church or a big church. You go in and sit down. You don't have to do nothing. Nobody asks you to do nothing. You know, they have free coffee. Well, we have free coffee, I guess. But they have all this good stuff for you, and it's easier. That's why people like it. And I'm saying that it's good. It's not saying wrong with it. They have all the programs in place. You don't have to be asked to take care of the nursery, you know. You don't get asked to do this because they have all they need. And you can just go in, leave every day, and feel good. But the special people, something about people that will go into a church when there's six people, you know, or in a house where there's one or two people, or in a church where there's, say, 50, 40, 50 people, and, 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 and serve. and be, They see something, I think, that others don't see. They see the potential. They see the love. They see the sacrifice. They see other things, and they just lock in and become a part. Then they're a part of helping to build that thing. And then they can look back years later and say, we had a part in that, helping to build that church. And we, you know, we didn't just go in and sit. We were a part of that. And that's what's exciting to see when you come in like this, especially when you hear a people that's been here from the beginning all the way through these six years with you. You know, that's amazing. They, they've held on, and when there's been a few people, and some have come, and some have gone, and it kind of settles down. But uh, there's something tremendous about them, and God has really good plans for people's lives that catch that kind of vision. Amen. I believe that uh, with all my heart. So I'm just glad to be here, and, uh, and uh, we appreciate you. We're going to have more relationship. Uh, we, we're we're, we're uh, leading the fellowship, but we're now also pastoring the Living Hope Church, Living Hope Family Church in Tucson since December. So we're there too. We're also in California. Uh, we have our offices in California, so I'm kind of jumping back and forth. I'm leaving today for Los Angeles, stuff like that. But God's doing some good stuff, and it's great to be here. Okay, so, so um, this is what I'm going to talk to you about, 40 chances. Interesting, just a f- I don't know if it's, I think, uh, maybe a couple years ago, I think, uh, but I only picked it up recently, a book by Howard Buffett. He's Warren Buffett's son. Most of us know who Warren is, right? <laughs> He's, and um, his son's a farmer. Loved to farm, so he got this big farm up north. And, and he wrote this book called 40 Chances. Uh, and the story behind the book is he, he went to a, a, a farm, a farm uh, uh, equipment sales meeting. And there was a guy giving a speech about farm equipment and explaining to them uh, about the equipment and stuff like, stuff like that. And he put this quote in here that kind of sparked me on this thought. Uh, 
at this, he said, here's, the, here's this quote, most of you think of farming as this continual process of buying seed, planting, fertilizing, harvesting, then starting over again the next year. It's a cycle. And he said, but think about the period between the first time your dad had you climb up with him on the tractor to plant and the day that you will turn uh, your acreage over to your son or daughter. Think about that time, he said. The time that you first sat in the tractor and your dad gave you the keys and when you're going to let your kids sit in the tractor and give them the keys. Think about those two times. And he said, if you're, plenty, or if you're healthy uh, and you're like most farmers, you're probably only going to do this 40 times. You'll get 40 chances to plant your crop, adjust to whatever nat- nature throws at you, hope for the best. It's enough time to learn to do it well, but it's not forever. Some of you are well into your 40 chances already. You've learned from your mistakes, but I'd guess that none of you feel you can afford to take a single year left off of your string of chances for granted. And he says, what we're trying to do here is make sure we're giving you the best possible tools. That's the guy selling the tools. And the best possible, possible advice on how to use them. That way you can make the most of those 40 chances that you have. So he said, I started thinking a little different about farming after that day. But I also realized that this is, idea can be applied to a lot more than farming. It's easy to slip into the rhythm of life and just plod forward. Whether you love or hate what you're doing, whether you're good at it or you're struggling, life is not a treadmill. Life is a walkway, a moving walkway. And there are no do-overs. So he said, we get a limited number of chances to do what we do. And whatever we do, to try to do it right. So he said, I started asking myself, am I making the most of my chances? He preached a pretty good sermon, didn't he? (laughs) Am I making the most of my chances? Am I trying to improve and uh, perfect my method every single year? Am I listening to people, he said, with new ideas? Am I learning the right lessons from my mistakes that I make? From that time on, Howard began to teach sustaining farming in third world countries, especially countries where there was hunger and starvation. That's what he began to do. And his foundation, he started a foundation after that, which his dad gave him the first billion dollars to, by the way. (laughs) Uh, That's a big job, big help, huh? But he started his his foundation. He's helped millions, literally millions of people out of hunger around the world by teaching sustainable farming rather than simply giving them food. You know, the Bible kind of talks about that. And uh, uh, did I point here? Do I point there? Where do I point this thing? Oh, there it is. So uh, I, the Bible kind of talks about this. And I, and I kind of want to look at this here. And, and, as how, uh, and how can I make the, uh, the best of my 40 chances? There it is. So teach us to number our days. Do you stand here and see that? Is that how you do this? So I have to kind of turn around to read it. So forgive me, folks. <laughs> Uh, So teach us to number, I've got it on here anyways, our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The Message Bible says, oh, teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. That's that's kind of a good deal, isn't it? And so the Bible, uh, the question I'm asking is, how do we make what's left of our 40 chances count? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of far into those chances, by the way. I'm a, I'll be 70 this year, so I'm working my way up there. And, uh, and how do I make them count? You know, so I began to search into the Scriptures some, and I, I looked at the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter uh, from prison in Colossians. And he's, he's pretty far along in his life and ministry. This is towards the end of his life. We don't know how many years or months he had when he wrote this letter, probably a few years, but he wrote a letter Uh, And uh, uh, he said these words. He says to the Colossians, don't forget to pray for us. Now, you would think he's in prison. That had to be a terrible place in those days. And he's saying, pray for me. What would you think he would pray for? 
He, you know, pray I get out of this hole. Pray I get a miracle and God comes. Remember when Paul and Silas were in prison? And they sang praise at midnight. He tried, tried that already. didn't work the second time. And uh, here he is. He's, uh, he's asking God, and, and, uh, and nothing's happening. So he say, he, he's, not asking, he's not saying pray that God opens the doors again for us. But he's in prison, and he says pray that God will open doors. But he's not talking about the prison doors. He's not talking about, you know, like he did when we were in Philippi. He says that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ. Here he is at the, towards the end of his life, and he said, even when I'm locked up in this jail. So he's not even asking God to get him out. He's not he's asking, pray I get some food, pray I get some, some this or that. He said, that I get, even while I'm locked in this jail, pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Wow. What a, what a tremendous picture of a man that wants to run out his 40 chances right to the end there in prison. And so, you know, when the Bible talks about open doors, it, it, it's talking about uh, uh, opportunity. He says here, they, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the doors of faith. This is when Paul and Silas had been on a journey, the first missionary journey ever in the Bible, New Testament. They were the first ones to go out on a missionary journey. And they went out and, and, and came back a couple years later. That's exactly how we do today. Missionaries go out. They come back and they give reports of what's going on. Now they can do it online. But uh, they declare that God has done with them and how he had opened doors of faith to the Gentiles, very first ones to go to the Gentiles. And, and uh, uh, another door, they said, to the Corinthians, when I came to Troas, he said, to, to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. So he's going into a new place. I, you know, I've seen that happen, going to countries. I, I pioneered in Singapore. Uh, my wife and I moved there in the Philippines, and, and you'd see God just miraculously open door. Let me give you one testimony, can I? We were pioneering in Singapore. We had, finally had a few people there, and we're kind of like Wayne here. I play instruments, so I was doing the worship. <laughs> I, I felt I, I was doing the same thing you're doing here in Singapore. I was up there singing. My wife was helping me, and my son was on a bass, and my, uh, my daughter was singing with us. That's kind of what we did. We, we were starting this church. So my wife and I said, we've got to get some help here. This, this is ridiculous. So we, we went on a three-day fast. We said, Lord, we need some musicians. I wasn't praying for people. I was praying for musicians. <laughs> I didn't care where they came. I wanted musicians. I didn't want to play no more. And we went on a three-day fast. And, it, and I'm not saying this is a solution or, or, or a uh, way you do it, but this is what we felt to do and prayed for that. And at the end of three days, my son and I were practicing in our apartment, which is the ninth floor of a high-rise, and the doors are open, the windows are open because you don't have AC. And, and uh, uh, we're, we're practicing, and we get a knock on the door. And there's this young Chinese guy there. He's, uh, he's uh, Confucius, I find out later. And he says, he, he heard us playing. He said, you guys play instruments? He said, I play. And he came in. He fooled around a while. Then I said, would you like to play in a band? I said, I want to I put a band together and do a concert in a park. He said, I'd love to play. I said, do you know any drummers? He said, I've got a uh, Malaysian friend. Well, Malaysians are Muslim. Uh, so he said, I've got a Malaysian friend over here, a, a young guy. I said, well, ask him if he'll play in our band with us. I figured, so he, he, he went to ask his friends, yeah, he'll play. So I had a, uh, our missionary also in John McGovern in Hong Kong, and it uh, wasn't that far away. So I, I flew him over because he's a rock and roll guitar player. And I said, John, I want you to take these two guys, put a band together. Jan's going to sing with you. Paul's going to play the bass, and we're going to go play in this park and see what God does. They did it. We went in there. We had a, 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 a rock and roller from California. Uh, a, a Muslim guy and a, and a, and a, uh, and a Confucius guy, <laughs> and we're going to play gospel rock and roll. <clears throat> but the fact is, well, a few people showed up out in the park. That they never see nothing like that over there. And, uh, uh, and uh, I literally was out in the crowd, and I bumped into a young man, just bumped into him, a young Indian boy from India. I be, and he said, I, I never knew you could play that kind of music for Christians. You know, <laughs> that was his word. He said, I love music. I, so I said, oh, you do? Well, let's go talk. So we went to the coffee shop right there, began to talk and find out, you know, he, was, uh, he wasn't Hindu, but his family were uh, Anglican, but he never really had an experience with God. But he said, you got to meet my mom and dad. I said, okay. So that next night, we're at his mom and dad's house, have dinner with him on my wife's birthday, April 1st, which is tomorrow, right? Boy, I better get a card. <laughs> Don't let me forget when I leave here. Amen. I've, and... Uh, uh, we went to their house, had dinner, 
And at the service is over, his dad picks up a violin, starts playing it. Turns out he, he played for the Singapore Philharmonic Orchestra, lead violinist. They brought him from India just to do that. And then the other boy picked up a violin. He began, then the girl picked up a violin. She began to play. And then the other boy picked up a guitar, and he began to play. And they began to do songs and worship songs. For, for, and, and the next Sunday morning, who do you think was in our church? All of them playing their instruments. That family. And I baptized them all in the South China Sea. Amen. The whole family at one time. And, and now, years later, the one brother that played the violin is the pastor of our Hong Kong church. The other one lives in California and was a worship leader for years at our church. And, and, and amazing what God did just, just uh, out of that little group. You see, this is open doors. See, that's what he's praying for here. And, and, and he tells, says this, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Uh, and there are many adversaries. You found that out? There's many adversaries, right? And, and it's true. That the door is circumstances. Uh, a climate of receptivity that God can, can work, and that's what Paul is asking. Let these, pri- these guards that's who, and these prisoners that I'm in prison with be an open door. Who else are you going to talk to? Right? Prisoners and guards. And it's let them be an open door that I can share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God can take down iron curtains. God can open doors. God can make ways. Where and, and all the time this is happening around the world. Right now, Cuba is one of those places that's just opening up, you know. And uh, we've been involved in Cuba for many years. But now we're starting to get some freedom in that place, starting to open up in there. So he says, pray for me. Don't pray for my survival. Don't pray for my finances. Most of the stuff most of us always pray for. Don't pray for that I get a better job. Those things are okay, but pray I get released from prison. Pray for open doors, open doors, open opportunity that I can do something for God with my 40 chances that I have. Wow, I feel that. I always want open doors. I don't ever want to stop having open doors until, until I just can't do it anymore. And so fruitfulness in our lives in the kingdom of God is really responding to open doors. It's not making things happen all the time. It's responding. In my life, it's been responding. My brother responded to an opportunity to go to East L.A. Well, it just so happens in 1978, there was a tremendous movement among uh, East L.A. and California, among the Latino young gangs, especially Victory Outreach, if you've ever heard of that ministry, was launched uh, uh, just before that with Sonny Argonzoni. And uh, they were having tremendous revival among it. And, and, and right now, if you go into Los Angeles and you meet a guy probably in his 50s to late 50s, a uh, Latino brother or sister, and you ask them when they got saved, most of them got saved right around their early 20s, somewhere in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And because God was doing something all over the place, and my brother walked into that. Ephesians 2.10 says, You're God's masterpiece, created for good works that God created that you should walk in before the foundations of the world. So we walk into God's, what God wants to do so many times not knowing what he's going to do. Key times. I, I was walking, I was li- uh, living in the Philippine Islands, and I, I, I was, uh, uh, we were pioneering, pioneering the church there, my family. And uh, I, uh, I, I felt I wanted to see Hong Kong. I'd never been there before. So I took a flight over to Hong Kong by myself. And I was three days there, and I was just walking around Hong Kong. Then no soul had no contacts in Hong Kong. I'm saying, Lord, somehow... Let us be a part of what you're going to do and are doing in Hong Kong. That's all I prayed. Help us to be a part of what you're doing and going to do in Hong Kong. I'm coming down on the train. I just, right as I'm praying that prayer, the last day I'm going to be there, I see a red cross on a building. So I stopped the train. Got off. It didn't stop it. I got off it when it stopped. And I went over to the, the red cross. I knocked on the door. A guy came down. He was a European guy from England with Elam Church. And he, he was a missionary there. And, and I told him I just wanted to get acquainted. I was just there. And we spent the day together. And that was it. Nothing, nothing, nothing else happened. And it turned out, we'd, we'd been in the Philippines while my daughter, my daughter uh, had stomach problems really bad, and it, it got so bad in the Philippines while we were there that we, had to, we were seeking medical attention to get her help. We finally decided we had to go back to America to uh, get her some medical attention. So we had to move back to America. That, that shot my dreams. Philippines shot my dreams of, uh, of Hong Kong, but in that church, I was, I, I was pastoring here in, 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 uh, in America. At that time, uh, I came back and I took a church in our fellowship. And whenever I did there, I, I was talking one morning in a Sunday school class about uh, China and Hong Kong. And I said, China is just open. Now, this is 1980, 80, 
four, that China's opening to English teachers. You couldn't go in with a missionary, but you could be an English teacher. And there was two English guys, two English teachers sitting in the back row. And I knew they were there. <laughs> I knew they were high school teachers. And I said, the door's open for English teachers, and they'll go to China. One guy nudged the other guy like that. He said, we are both teachers. We can go. The other one guy said, not on your life. I'm not going to China. And the other guy, though, approached me. Six months later, we moved him and his family to China to teach English in Jimei, a little tiny, a little, little tiny place in China. Long story. I'm not going to get into that story with you today, but after a few years, he moved to Hong Kong. The guy I met with that Red Cross was his sponsor into Hong Kong, and today we have eight churches in Hong Kong, and they've planted 40 churches all over Asia. Amen. And so, you see, when the open doors come, that's what we're talking We're talking about something powerful, folks, for we are his workmanship. That's the scripture I just quoted to you, that we should walk into those. We walk into it. Amen. What God has for us uh, as an open door. You know, uh, I was thinking, you don't know these two people at all. But last week, last Saturday, in fact, I, uh, I, well, Thursday or Friday, I don't remember, say, Frank Navarro here, we had his funeral. And uh, th- Frank, what, I was sitting in that service, he's one of our pastors, and uh, his children and grandchildren began to go up and share the story. Of their, uh, they called him Opa because he, his wife's German. And called him Opa and uh, said how he had influenced their life for Christ. And they all talked about how godly man this man was. I've known him for 40 years. And how much a godly man he was. And, and it was just amazing to watch his grandkids even get up there. And they had, of course, kids themselves. He's 80-some years old. And this guy got up at the last. He's Johnny Doris. He's that couple that I told you stayed with my brother when all the white flight happened. He stayed in that church to back my brother and them. And then he felt, when he began to plant churches, he was the first church to go out. And he went from Los Angeles to Ontario, a long ways, California, out to Ontario, California, and he planted that church. When they were doing outreaches, he knocked on Frank Navarro's door and went in. And Frank Navarro didn't even get up. He was sitting in an easy chair and drinking his beer. And Johnny, he's very, Johnny's a very confrontational guy. He went and sat down. And he said, what are you doing here? Frank asked him, and he was telling the story, and he just began to tell him about Jesus. Well, Frank said, I don't want none of that stuff. So then the next week they did another outreach there, and he did, Johnny did the same thing. He went to his house, went inside, sat down, and talked to Frank again. Eventually Frank softened up, came to church, gave his life to Christ. Amen. Not only did he give his life to Christ, but uh, uh, they t- discipled him. He went to plant a church in Hayward, California. That church is still going today, a great church in Hayward, California. Then he went to Wiesbaden, Germany, the military base, and did a church there until the desert storm took all the guys away. And he, he pastored over there until the desert storm in, in uh, Germany. Then he came back and has been serving ever since. And I, and I looked at that, and I thought to myself, when Johnny shared, that's where I saw those grandkids, great-grandkids, about 50 people. There's about 600 at the funeral, but about 50 of them were his kids and grandkids, it seems like. And, and I thought to myself, if, jo- if Johnny would have only reached that one guy, he'd have been fruitful. See, we don't see that. God sees one. One's an open door. God cares about one. That one if he had just reached that one guy, look at the impact he would have made for God. The family, generational blessing that's passed on down. The church in Hayward, amen, and the, that's been going on now for 35 years. The work over in Wiesbaden there. My son's pastoring in Germany now. And so uh, when, you, when you see that, I said, if that was all that happened. You see, today we, we think about the mega. We think about the numbers, how big something uh, is and such as that. And then we have a world of mega malls and mega stars and mega preachers. And I, I'm not opposed to them. Thank God for what they do. But I think about the Frank Navarros. That's who I think about. And in my life, the ones that have been impacted, I've really appreciated, is, is the ones that have been lifelong relationships like this guy. No, nobody ever heard of him, but I like the, the, uh, the Indian boy that's pastoring in Hong Kong that got in our, saved and baptized at 15. Are, those are the stories that mean something to me because they're the real open doors. The crowds, we've had them. They've come and they've gone. And we've ministered to a lot of them in different places. But those people are the ones God really uses you. To, those are the open doors. Can you say amen to that? You know, I, I heard you say about... Iraq. I don't know if I have a picture of Iraq up there. Uh, that's it. This Iraq there. Iraq. You, you guys have been supporting Iraq. Jack Harris. Jack Harris was sitting in my house, in the basement of my house. He had just got a call from his son, who was in the army over there during the war. 
the second one, the second war over there. And he was in the army there, and he was talking to a Kurdish man named Mohammed. What else? <laughs> and uh, he was telling him about his dad. This, how his dad preaches the gospel and helps people and does humanitarian works. And Muhammad says, he must come and help the Kurds. He must come to Iraq and help the Kurds. And, uh, and uh, uh, his son got on the phone, called Jack, said, Jack, they want you to come over here and help, do something. The Kurds are suffering. That's where they just had just bombed the Kurds and all that mess and had happened over with the Kurds with Saddam. He wasn't down yet, gone. And so uh, we were talking, and every advice we got, from even the, the coaches and mentors that I use for myself, said, you can't send a guy in there during a war. You just can't do it. But Jack said, Jack's attitude is, well, you know, he's kind of, I'm kind of like the, 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 the lepers at the gate. If I stay here, I'll die. If I go there, at least I might live. <laughs> he, was, he was going through a, one of the worst times of his life. Can you imagine one of the worst times of Jack's life was happening right then when he got this invitation? And that's why he was willing to go because he, he just said, I'm not doing nothing right much right now, so I wanna, I'll go. And so we sent him there. He walked across the border during the war. Uh, there wasn't much war in northern Iraq, but the, it was happening in that region. He walked across the border, never knew this man, didn't know what he looked like. All he knew he was looking for Muhammad. He didn't know that everybody over there was named Muhammad. <laughs> Amen. Ninety <laughs> percent of them are named Muhammad. And, but he went over there. They met. For the next two years, Jack never met or talked to a Christian. Only Muslim people. We did projects, we did uh, road projects, we, we rebuilt a village, a whole village, we rebuilt, rebuilt a whole village. We did water projects, winter projects for widows. The church of uh, Tucson supported some widows. That woman had like seven kids, you guys probably helped with that. For years, until the kids have all gone to school now, and I've uh, been blessed with those, those kids. And so, uh, 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 an open door, is what I'm saying. And the result of that is beautiful church, it's now been built. It has a daycare. It has an apartment complex where the pastor lives. And it's a training center now for us to bring in people from all over the Middle East to train there. And that's the building that just got finished, amen, uh, over there in Iraq. Right in the government gave us the land because we were the first non-government organization to go in that place after, during the war. And the new government had been formed. We, we immediately filed for no, uh, non-government organization status. That's where you can serve in there. And we were the first one. So the government gave us some land that wasn't worth nothing because nothing was worth nothing at the time. But that land is now the heart of the city. And they told us, if you don't build, we're going to take the land back. So we had to build. <laughs> but there it is. And, and, and that's the result of simply a, a, an open door. Man, I'll tell you, it's exciting. And uh, what keeps us then from walking through the doors God wants us to go through. What do you think? Could be a lot of things, right? A lot. What'd you say? There you go. You, you hit the number one thing on the head, nail on the head, right? That old demon of fear, right? That old natural characteristic of fear that comes through. And, and that's, that's no doubt. That's the, you, you, could, you could preach my sermon, I bet you. You, you had me right on. You, you had it right there. Thank you for that. So I want to go back here. Write this to Philadelphia. This is the book of Revelations, the seven churches, to the angel of the church, the holy, the true, David's key is in his hand. Opening doors no one can lock. That's what God's doing for us. He does that for the church all the time. He does it for those that will believe for it. And locking doors that no one uh, can open. Speaks. I think there's more to that. Nope, there's not. I'll go back to that. And, uh, I, and he says, I see what you've done. Now what... I've done, I've opened a door before you that no man can shut. Oh man, that, that's a powerful word. That's God saying, go through. Go through. Go through. That's what most people. I just was, uh, was uh, no, I won't go that, that'll take too long. Okay, so, uh, fear. why do we have fear? You know, I, this movie just came out. Let me see this movie. This, this, this guy is Alex Honnold. And he's a solo climber. He, dry, he climbs with no ropes, no nets, no nothing. And he's climbing, uh, he's climbing there in Yosemite National Park to the El Capitan. If you anybody seen El Capitan there? El Capitan, which is the largest uh, solid granite rock in the whole world, 3,200 feet high. And he climbed that. And he made a documentary, National Geographic documentary, out of it. And he climbed that totally solo. Nothing under him. Look at that. <laughs> and I, 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 when, I, when I was working on this, I, I, and I heard about that and saw the movie, I, I read all I could find about him. 
you know. He loves to climb, blah, blah, blah. But he said these words about that science. That he said the most challenging part of this, he said, was in my mind. That's what he said. For a year, he said, I've looked at that since I was a child. Every time I come, I want to climb. He's climbed it a lot of times with ropes and nets or whatever they use, but he's never climbed it solo. And he says, because it's a stinking, and he used some cuss word. He said, a, a, a thing, you know. And, but he said, for a, when I decided I was going to do it, he said, I, 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 for a year, he said, it's all been in my mind. I have memorized every inch of that side of the rock. I've climbed it 40 times with ropes. I know every nook and cranny of that thing, he said. But my mind was still, the fear was there of climbing that rock. See, that's, what, that's it. That's what, you, you hit the nail on the head. Amen. So the Bible tells us this. Stay focused. There's the problem right there. Stay focused on what's above. That's what he had to do. <laughs> not on earthly things. Well, not on earthly things. Amen. So, so the Laodiceans are the most affluent church in the book of Revelations and in the early church. They're the most gifted in the early church, so we can tell. The best resourced congregations in the early church had more than any other congregation in the early church. And that's why the Bible says this about the, I am rich and I have everything. I want, I don't need a thing. That was the problem that church had. They had everything they needed. They had everything they needed. And, and, uh, and, and so that's the dangerous picture. You know, there's this guy, Larry Loudon, a professor of uh, psychology at the University of Hawaii. He did a book about risk. And he said about, people are, well, I'm afraid this, this is so dangerous. He said, here's what's the dangerous stuff. He said, right there, 60,000 people a year are injured by kitchen knives. Some of the most dangerous stuff's right in your home. Then he said this, look at it. He said, 100,000 people are injured by manual or power saws every year. Right? So we're talking about risk, fear. What are we afraid of? This one will get you. 20,000 people are strangled to death on drapery cords. Our kids especially. <laughs> Protect those great records in your head. The dangerous stuff there, folks. And then 4,000 people are seriously injured by their pillow. <laughs> I don't know if that's a pillow fight. I want it. But I, I'm going to tell you, the most, how many know what the most dangerous thing in your house is? Your wife. <laughs> now, I would suspect, I don't know anything about what's going on here today, but since he opened his mouth... <laughs> I would suspect, your wife's not sitting here. I would suspect she had to go to the nursery for something. No, she went to get food. Oh, she went to get food. Well, I was wrong. Because most pioneer churches, the pastor's wife gets stuck almost every week in the nursery for years. Right? That's, a, that's the hardest part of pioneer church is getting help to take the pastor's wife out of the nursery. Hint, hint. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, here's the most dangerous thing in your house. You ready? <laughs> the lazy boy why do they call it the lazy boy chair they don't call it the active chair the health chair they call it the lazy the best selling chair in the world is the lazy boy that's the problem right there now I didn't know I was going to be in a crowd of people my age so uh, uh, <laughs> I've got a nice lazy boy my wife bought it for me 25 years ago it's still wonderful but that's uh, uh, a best selling chair it's not the adventure chair, right? Because we can get so immersed in our comfort. That's the Laodian church. I'm comfortable. How many times I hear that when I challenge people to plant churches and other things. I, I, I was in Australia, and I, at our church there, and I'd been invited to one of the couple's room after church for a meal, and his wife went, all the time I was there, his wife never came out of the bathroom. I couldn't figure out why. Later he told me, because he says she wasn't about to face you because you're always asking us to go plant a church. And she said, I've already planted a church. I'm not going to do it again. I'm a planter, she said, and I don't want to see him. <laughs> oh, man. So, so we get so uncomfortable. Don't disturb me. Don't interrupt me. Hallelujah. And so uh, does he look ready to spring into action? Ready to sacrifice himself? Like Paul was, to do a difficult task. It's out there. Uh, what do they call those honeydew, honeydew stuff? Amen. Is he ready to say yes? And so uh, I kind of think this is what our 40 chances is about. It's not, it's not, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, 
It's a challenge. You know, it's not a, the, the challenge in life is about making myself as comfortable as possible. But that's what most people spend their life doing. How can I end up in a comfortable position? But that's why I think this is a dangerous place. Amen. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's the stuff, it's nothing wrong being in the chair. It's the stuff I don't do while I'm in the chair. Amen. So here's the challenge. Let me leave you with a challenge today. You know, that uh, move past some of this stuff a little bit. Not because I know there's food coming. Amen. Here's the challenge. I think it's a wake-up call. I think Paul's prayer and 40 chances is a wake-up call. Okay? How many ever played this game? Anybody ever played that game? Yeah? Monopoly. That, that, you know when, they, when that game was created? It was created during the Depression, the Great Depression. People were going through such miserable, hard times, this game just gave them relief, buying and selling property and stuff like that. And... Uh, and uh, um, the Bible tells us about this. He has the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Who all, he spent all of his life, and he said, now I'm gonna, what am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns, greater barns, and then I'm going to say to myself, just rest. And that night, the Bible says, the, Lord, the Spirit said to him, tonight your soul is required of you. Now whose is all these things going to be? We can be masters of monopoly. And here the Bible says, I, the people I love, I call to account. Prod and correct and guide so that they'll live their life at their best. That's what God wants. You know, we, we have, however long we have here, 40 chances might make us to 80 years, 90 years, however that goes that we're running out those 40 chances. But we have unlimited billions of no eternity in heaven. This life is nothing to heaven. How many know that? And what it's going to be in heaven. That's why I want to run this thing out all the way, wired out. Because I'll have my plenty of time up there to kick it. And so the people I love, I call to account, prod and correct and guide so that they'll live life at, or live at their best. That's what God wants. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Hallelujah. And, and he says, up on your feet then. About face. Run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. I hear if you hear me, call. Open the door. I'll come right in and sit down for supper with you. See, God's given everybody the key to their heart. We all have the key to our life. We can't, you know, we're, always, we're, in, a, we're in a society now that is a blame society. We are a, uh, a victim society. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's a victim. I can't do it because of this. This is the reason. This is the reason. This is the reason. This is the reason. And all these reasons of, of uh, lack of why it doesn't work. You know, I, one of my favorite people throughout all the years of my life as far as watching has been a w- girl named Johnny. You know who Johnny is? Yeah, and she was originally uh, 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 a film about her by B- Billy Graham when she broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. I've watched her all of her life. She was about my age and, and, and saw the film and she broke her neck as a young lady in a quadriplegic and she has had nothing slow her down. She paints with her mouth, a little brush in her mouth, beautiful paintings. She shares the, all over the world, she shares the good news of Christ. She's built a massive ministry of touching life, married and, and gone on with her life by a miracle of grace of God. I mean, if she can do that, what can I do? She's always been convicting me to death and I don't even know the woman. Hallelujah. Uh, look after me. I stand at the door. I knock. You have the key. I have the key, not someone else. They're not going to dictate to me what my life. I pray God open doors. You're the one I count. You're the one to help me. You can move mountains. Hallelujah. You sang about it. You can make a way where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah. We all face difficult times, difficult situations but we serve a big God. Can you say amen to that? And so he gives us that key to our door. And, uh, and when we shut the door, even God himself won't open it. Nothing will open it. When I say no, I'll tell you what, God, God just goes on. He, does, he, doesn't, he can't do anything about it because he chose to let us do that. If you don't want to receive Christ in your life, people say, oh, God, make them receive you. He can't make somebody receive him. God, make, uh, people when I was a kid, you said, make them miserable, God. Make them so miserable they want to serve you. That, that's not going to get nobody to want to serve God. <laughs> show them the love of God. You've got to show your love to them. Hallelujah. But, uh, but still, if they don't open their heart, everybody, whether it's my kids or my grandkids, whoever it is, I just pray that they will. And I pray that God will have people share with them so that they can. And so, such as that. And so, and so I've watched so many 
over the years, even churches we've planted over the years, that individuals that I've known, churches I've known have just kind of shut up their hearts, quit sacrificing, quit giving. I mean, I was listening to him take that off. And man, this guy's talking about taking for this off, this for, for the missions, this for the tithe for the church, for this preacher. Then man, <laughs> but if we ever shut up our bowels of compassion, the Bible says, our heart to, to do something, then we're, we're just done. Our 40 chances are over. So that's why our scripture this was, teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us about these 40 chances, Lord, so that uh, we can live wisely. Whether I'm in my uh, whatever age, it can be young or old, it doesn't make any difference to that. There's still trillions of years with the Lord that we have. And so we pray for open doors. At this anniversary that you guys are at, amen, I pray that God gives you and, and so many open. We're going to pray for that in a minute. But let me tell you, let me close it with this. <clears throat> see if I, how I had that. It goes, it was, okay, have me see the Monopoly box. This is supposed to come up later, but then the Monopoly box, why I have that there is because it all goes back in the box. Game's over, you put it back in the box, you put it on the shelf. Frank, he went back in the box, and we buried him. Forty chances. We have so much opportunity, and that's all. Lord, help us to re- help us to seize those opportunities of our life. Father, we pray that God, that something we said through the Word of God, the Word will touch a heart here, even one. Touch our hearts, God, to realize the life is limited. The forty, the chances you give to us are so precious, so valuable, God. Whether it's to whatever it is to serve, to minister, to touch somebody's life just to do something to show the love of God to this dying world, Lord God, and to love your community and your people. Help us to seize those chances for the kingdom of God. In this place and out of this place, God, we pray for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? There might be someone here that uh, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We're a church that believes in being born again. Uh, and why we say that is Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked, he said, how can I be born again? And uh, go back to my mother's womb as an old man? And Jesus said, got to be born of the Spirit and of the water. And, uh, and so this is, this, is, this is what Jesus came to do, not to give us another religion, right? but a new birth. Have our sins forgiven. They at Pentecost, they asked Peter, what, can, what do we need to do to receive this? And he said, repent. Be baptized. They asked Paul when, he, when that Paul and Silas got out of prison because the, the, door, the doors opened by the shaking of the earthquake. And, and the jailer asked Paul, what do I need to do to be saved? He said, believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Confess with your mouth that uh, he's your Lord and Savior and risen from the dead and you'll be saved. Isn't that wonderful? So it's not religious works, not all that, just receiving Christ. If you haven't received Christ in your heart, you're in this place, we'd love to pray with you. Love to pray with you. And uh, we'll be up here to do that. And, and you can receive Christ in your heart and in your life. Or if you feel for some reason you need prayer for something else, we'd love to pray for that before we end this service. Amen. Maybe say, God, give me 39 more chances. <laughs> 38, 36, or 20, or whatever whatever it is, more chances uh, for God. Amen. Anybody want special prayer? You, you, wanna, you need healing? You need a touch of God? You'd like prayer this morning? We'll take a moment to do that before we end this service. Uh, and we're gonna, we want to pray for you when your wife gets back. <laughs> that's, that's what the... Uh, she had to go get the food, right? Yeah. That's, yes. Yes, he's, he's stepped up to ministry here at the church, right? And, uh, and van, a lot of evangelism, stuff like that, your direction from the Lord. So let's pray for him. God will do that. And uh, anyone else that's feeling, you know, I just want God's direction. You just receive it as we pray for him, Lord. Thank you for his heart, God. Lord, and the heart to take these opportunities that have putting coming before him. Let him seize opportunities. Open our doors of opportunity for him, God, in the heart and the passion that he has to touch lives, to minister in this church, dear God, and to help Pastor Wayne. We pray for that, God. Let, a, let an anointing and a grace 
be upon his life for fruitful increase, we pray, and blessing by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, we thank you for that, Lord. Amen and amen. Praise But Pastor Wayne, your wife's not here. So you come up here. We're going to... Hey, we've been talking about you ever since you walked out. I thought you went to the nursery, so I was asking people to take your place. I went to go get your lunch. Oh, well, good. Even better. Uh, i tell you, I, I appreciate church planters. Appreciate this couple coming here and doing this. You know, they're, 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 they're bivocational pastors. They both work full-time jobs. They both work to build this church. And that's, that's, that's a, an honorable thing to do. 90% of the pastors that we have are bivocational around the world, even in uh, the poor countries, because it, it, re- it releases a multiplication and, and the ability as the church grows, that'll change. They, don't wanna, they won't stay that way forever. Amen. He'll die if he does that forever. <laughs> but we, wanna, we want to bless them, okay? Some of you might want to come. You might want to come pray. Some, some of the people who have been here a long time or whatever, you might want to come and pray with us. We're going to bless them. And, ble- and in doing that, we want to bless this church. And this congregation. You, you folks, are, you're, this, this is a good church. Believe me, this is a good church at six years old. Very good. So what's, how big is a six-year-old? About like that? Somewhere around there? Depending on, depending on how fast they grow, right? So it's, that's what, it, it's good church. Great church. Great folks. And what an opportunity. There's, and what a great place. This is such a growing community. You know, I haven't been around Tucson. In here. My wife's dad lived there and passed away in Tucson. So we was here some, but uh, to see him... I haven't been around Tucson much, and I didn't, uh, you know, didn't pay attention to it, never. I'd fly into the airport, stay at a hotel by the airport. They'd pick me up to go preach somewhere, and I'd go back to the airport. So I never saw anything but the airport, uh, and I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, but I, I tell you, this whole area is just a booming area. This, is a, this part here is booming. You see these new homes and stuff like that. So what an opportunity you guys have to build a great church for God. Amen. And I'll tell you, if you want to do something great for God, be a part of building a church. Because it just, it'll last. It'll go on. It'll keep going. Generations will be blessed in that church. And be part of that. And I'll tell you, you'll, you'll look at it. You'll say, I'm sure glad I was a part of building, helping to build that church there and see it established for God. Amen. And, and it'll, it'll, it will, uh, it'll bless you more than anything else, as much as anything else. So let's pray for them. Hallelujah. Father, we just bless them. We thank you for these church planters, pastors. They've given their heart to this community. Lord, have a desire to build your kingdom and reach people in this community, God. We pray blessing, grace, fruitfulness upon them, and especially, God, open doors of opportunity. Open doors in this community, God. Touch key families, God. Key people, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, God, in Jesus' name. Make them the fruitful vines that they're called to be, Lord, multiplying and increasing over and over again. And we thank you for that. Whatever's in their heart, the vision that they feel, and the calling upon their heart to be fulfilled, God, in a powerful way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. We speak over this church and bless this church, God. Bless this congregation, those that have labored with them all these years, those new people, God, that are stepping in, and, Lord, those you're going to send. We pray, God, blessing upon this congregation, Lord, and an increase and multiplication in these years ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Hallelujah.